beautiful song and prayer uh, towards the Holy Spirit. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jason. Uh, I'm a second-year student at the Presbyterian Theological College, and it's great to see you all uh, this evening, and also for this opportunity to read God's Word and preach God's Word to you. Uh, the scripture for this evening is from the epistles to uh, the, the epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter eight, verses one to seventeen. And if you're using the Church Bible, it's on page one thousand one hundred and twenty-two, one one two two. Let me read it to you, chapter eight, verses one through seventeen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin. In the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh. Is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, "Abba, Father." The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children. Then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Now, please keep your Bibles open. This is a very dense, but also very rich, profound, and glorious section of the Holy Scriptures. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached more than 31 hours of sermons on these first 17 verses of Romans 8. And today, I have about 30 minutes, so it looks like we'll be flying. It will be great to look at the text and consider God's Word together. Uh, Let me pray together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your inerrant and infallible and sufficient Word. We thank you that your Word gives life. And God, please illuminate our hearts and change our hearts and change our lives. Help us to live according to the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My mother-in-law is a very good cook and also a very generous feeder. So whenever I eat at my in-law's place, she always prepares more than enough delicious dishes. And then I usually am pretty full before she reminds me, save some room, there's also dessert and fruit. Well, by then, it's too late for me to save some room, so I usually make some room by loosening my belt. I think our attention on the topic of salvation is often like my dining experience at my in-laws. We often focus on Christ and justification, but may sometimes neglect other wonderful parts like the Holy Spirit and His work. I believe today's text helps us to understand better what the Holy Spirit does in our salvation. I titled this sermon, God, the Holy Spirit in our salvation. And if there is only one thing to take away, I hope you will know that God, the Holy Spirit, also works in our salvation, as do the Father and the Son. Therefore, let us live according to the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that. God, the Holy Spirit, also works in our salvation, as do the Father and the Son. Therefore, let us live according to the Holy Spirit. We'll look at three truths regarding the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Firstly, the Spirit frees us from sin and death. That's in verses 1 to 4. And secondly, the Spirit gives life and peace. That's in verses 5 through 11. And thirdly, the Spirit brings sonship and glory that is in verses 12 to 17. Again, firstly, frees us from sin and death. Secondly, gives life and peace. And thirdly, brings sonship and glory. Let's look at the first point. God, the Holy Spirit, frees us from sin and death in verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the word therefore, therefore? The context from chapter 7 tells us that even though we have been justified through faith alone in Christ, and even though we truly delight in God's law and truly want to do do good, not evil, yet we cannot carry it out fully. As one of the church fathers, Augustine, said, before the four, 
it, is, it was possible for man to sin. But after the fall, it is not possible for us not to sin. After Christ's redemption, it is possible for Christians both to, think, to sin and not to sin. And at glorification, it is not possible for Christians to sin. Chapter 7 describes to us Christians in this third stage. We have been justified. It is possible for us not to sin. But we still sin. Because God's new creation that started in us hasn't been fully completed. There is still part of my sinful nature, like an old and dead body that I'm still uh, carrying around. This part of my sinful nature is still used to living as a slave to sin, even though I was set free by Christ. So by the end of chapter 7, Paul is in such agony and frustration, and he cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what is the glorious answer? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love this glorious answer. My eyes tear up every time when I read it and shouts Amen with Paul in my heart. So in the first sentence of chapter 8, the word therefore recaps the most important points from the earlier chapters. And it also gathers our attention to hear Paul answering this question. How will I be delivered from this body of death? In chapter 8. In verse 1, Paul says, Because of justification through Jesus Christ, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What wonderful news that is. What blessed truth that is. We should meditate on this truth every day. We should celebrate it every day. We should thank and praise our God for it every day. Let's never get dull about it or take it for granted. But how come there is now no condemnation for us? What is the mechanism? Verse 2 gives the answer. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Notice two key phrases here. The law of sin and death and the law of the Spirit of life. These are two governing principles of how our life works. The law of sin and death. This governing principle can be written as sin plus law equals condemnation and plus death. But we have been set free from this law of sin and death by a new and more powerful governing principle, the law of the spirit of life. Now, I want to imagine something with me. Are you ready? Imagine... We were moons of a planet called the sin and death. So we used to orbit its course. But now, a more powerful planet called the spirit of life came to us and the gravitational pull is so much stronger 
So now we are set free from orbiting sin and death. Instead, we now orbit the course set out by the Spirit of life. And this is the law of the Spirit of life. Do you get the picture? So now we know it is by this liberation work done by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus that we are not under condemnation. One might ask, well, we have the law, haven't we? Is the law not enough to, for us to live righteous lives? Why did we need the Holy Spirit's work through Jesus Christ? Paul answers in verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So the law was unable to do certain things. The law can't change our hearts. It can't deliver us from the power of sin and condemnation. The law cannot stop us from sinning. But, but God did them. God changed us. God rescued us. God gave us power to stop sinning by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So God the Father sent God the Son and God the Holy Spirit empowers and works through God the Son. And so the triune God worked together and did what the law was unable to do. God the Son took on the human nature and human flesh, yet His flesh is not sinful. Then according to the plan of the Father, by the power of the Spirit, the sinless Son was sent to us for sin. This phrase, for sin, is a technical term, meaning a sin offering. So Jesus willingly offered and sacrificed his own life onto the cross to be a sin offering for us. A sin offering is meant to do to restore purity, to secure atonement, and to provide assurance of forgiveness for sins. So in this way, God the Father condemned not you and me, but sin itself in its evil. In the flesh of, not you and me, but Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. Why did God the Father involve both the Holy Spirit's work and Christ's work? Verse 4 answers, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walks not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This includes... Firstly, the requirement for us to die for the punishment of our sin. But also, secondly, the requirement for us to live righteous lives in obedience to God's law. We know the first kind of requirement is fulfilled by Jesus Christ dying on the cross on our behalf so that we also died. How could the second kind of requirement be fulfilled in us? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit liberates us from the power of sin and death and enables us even now to habitually live according to Him and not according to the flesh. 
So by the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, we can fulfill the requirement of the law. This is my first point. God the Holy Spirit frees us from the law of sin and death. So there is now no condemnation for us and we are enabled to live according to the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the second point now. God the Holy Spirit gives us life and peace in verses 5 through 11. Paul reveals to us that when God saves us, there is a profound but invisible transition that happens in our being. It has deep and significant impacts on us. Let's first jump to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, if in fact the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you are a profoundly different being compared to before you were saved. Before, your being was in the realm of the flesh. But now, God the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And you have therefore transitioned into the realm of the Spirit. Verses 5 through 11 tells us what significant changes this transition brings. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So the first change is in the mindset. When you become a Christian, your mindset changes. You start to think differently. And your changed thinking will lead to changed desires. I used to think... There is no absolute truth or standard. Now I know God's truth is the absolute truth and standard. I used to think pleasure is the purpose of life. Now I know the purpose of life is to know God, enjoy God, and glorify God. I used to think only health, wealth, and happiness are blessings. Now, I know that whatever God may use, even suffering, to make me more holy, more like Jesus Christ, is the true blessing. I used to think we should all follow our own hearts and leave others alone in their choices. Now I know human hearts are desperately wicked. And so following our own hearts will lead us into confusion and eternal suffering. Instead, we should speak truth in love to warn others of the consequences. I used to think my value lies in what I do to please other people. Now I know my value lies in my Creator who made me in His image and my Savior who died for me to save and restore me to Himself. So all these gradually changed ways of thinking actually make me gradually desire God more and more, desire a closer and closer relationship with Him, which gradually reorient all areas of my life. So the change of mindset is the first change. The second change is in verse 
verses 7 to 8, and it's the relationship with God. Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, when you were not Christians, when we were not Christians, we were enemies with God. Not only did we refuse to submit to God's law, but we were not at all able to submit to God's law. We cannot please God. That is, everything we, th- uh, everything we did without faith, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, was a sin according to God's standard. Because God does not look at appearances, but at the heart. Everything we thought we did right at that time was actually done out of our own self-righteousness, was done in rebellion, in disregard for God's will for us in each matter. But now the transition into the realm of the Holy Spirit changed our relationship with God. We will see again in verses 14 to 17 that the Holy Spirit actually makes us God's own sons and heirs. Can you believe this? The enemies of God are made God's sons and heirs. When we know this truth, our hearts are overwhelmed with God's amazing grace and love. So we begin to love God, begin to seek to obey and serve Him, not because we have to, but because we want to. God so fills our hearts with joy and gratitude, so we want to please God. We want to please our loving Father. So the second change is the change of our relationship with God. Verse 6 tells us the third change, the consequential change from the first and second change. The third change is the change of your destination. Look at verse 6 together. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Paul is saying, if our mind is set on our natural sinful desires, like when we were not yet Christians, then we're heading towards death. But if the Holy Spirit governs our minds and our desires now, then our destination is changed to life and peace. Paul returns to this change from death to life in verses 10 to 11, where he basically says, If the Holy Spirit, who worked through Jesus Christ, is now living in you, then although your body is going to die due to sin, yet that's not the end. You are going to live again. And not like the life you now live or lived before, but truly, deeply, and fully live. Vibrantly, flourishingly, and satisfyingly live with God Himself as Jesus Christ lives. Because the Holy Spirit, He has applied Christ's righteousness to you. And by the same power that resurrected Christ, He is also going to raise you from the dead. 
because of the Holy Spirit, your future destination is absolutely secure with God. Knowing this will give you peace regardless of the circumstances you are in, both now and into the future. Now, if you are not a Christian yet, I want to encourage you to consider yourself. Which destination are you heading towards? Is it condemnation to death, both physical and spiritual eternal punishment? Or is it full and true life and peace by the Holy Spirit? The great Puritan John Bunyan, in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, writes about a man named Christian after learning about the death and judgment to come and the new destination that he could flee to. So Christian began to run towards the new destination and many people were mocking him, uh, threatening him or calling him to return. But Christian put fingers in his ears and ran on, crying, life, life, eternal life and indeed true and eternal life is what he received surpassing everything else that this world could ever give augustine in his confession writes you have made us for yourself O lord and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you our restless hearts can only find peace and rest as we trust and rest in God. Friends, you might be finding that your life feels like under a shadow, like the shadow of death that you can't get rid of. You might feel you have never had lasting and joyful peace that transcends circumstances. Let me tell you this. God the Holy Spirit freely gives true and eternal life and peace to everyone who would trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Friends, I call you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting Him today, trusting Him now, my friend, do not linger, do not linger in the shadow of death, for nobody knows what will happen next. And this is my second point. The Holy Spirit profoundly changes us and gives every believer true and eternal life and peace. My third and final point is that the Holy Spirit brings us sonship and glory. Look with me at verses 12 through 17. Having the above-mentioned profound changes as the foundation, Paul now exalts believers to leave out the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit in verses 12 to 13. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You might remember what Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker, the Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. So Paul says... You now have the powerful Holy Spirit living in you. It's like you you have a debt. You you have an obligation. You have a responsibility. 
And it is to not live according to your old sinful slave master, the flesh, but your responsibility now is to put to death the sinful deeds of the body by the Holy Spirit. Did you notice who is to put sins to death? Is it you or is that the Holy Spirit? The answer is, of course, yes, both you and the Holy Spirit. Another great Puritan, John Owen, famously warns Christians, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Christians should especially be vigilant towards our sin in word, thought and deed and be ready to kill our sin through all stages of our lives. By the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word, and pray in spirit on all occasions, while fighting alongside our fellow brothers and sisters in our church family. Brothers and sisters, examine yourselves. Are you actively killing sin? Killing your sin is not easy. Killing your sin feels like dying. You will feel the struggle and pain, at least mentally. But be encouraged and comforted. Pay attention to what Paul says here in verse 14. This very desire and act of killing your sin is an indicator that you are led by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it shows you are son of God. You are sons of God, brothers and sisters. Therefore, Paul reminds us in verse 15, we are no longer slaves to sin, fearing the punishment of sin, but we have received the Holy Spirit who brings us adoption as sons. So, by the Holy Spirit, we let out a hearty cry, Abba, Father. It is a bit weird, isn't it? Calling a mixture of male and female Christians sons. Now, this is a legal term the Roman Christians would understand. And that is, the Roman emperor may adopt someone who is not his biological son, but bestow legally and fully the privileges and inheritance to the adopted son, which originally only the biological son enjoys. So Paul is saying to the Christians in Rome and to us today, he's saying to both men and women, the Holy Spirit brings us sonship of God, emphasizing that we are made effectually and legally the heirs of God's kingdom together. By the Holy Spirit, we can individually and intimately call the creator of the universe, Father. This is mind-blowing. How could we be absolutely sure we're not making this up? That we are indeed, we have indeed received the sonship of God. The answer is supernaturally. The Holy Spirit in us supernaturally does what? Bears witness to us and with our spirit, that without a doubt, we are saved and we are the children of God. 
see how verse 17 gives more implications. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, if the Holy Spirit truly lives in someone, then he or she truly is a Christian. Then he or she will also surely witness to this world about Christ. And therefore, he or she will surely share in Christ's suffering, as Jesus promised and the apostles demonstrated. And this suffering will in turn prove the genuineness of this Christian in order that he or she will also share in Christ's glory at the final judgment and in the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the Christian way. To be the children of God is to be persecuted by the world. The way of suffering is the way to glory. The loss of worldly riches is the inheritance of an imperishable kingdom. To treasure the death on the cross is to receive the crown of eternal life. We may temporarily suffer for Jesus' namesake, but in the very moments of our suffering, in obedience to our Father, the Holy Spirit testifies our true identity and confirms our glorious and eternal future with Christ, our King and our friend. This is my third and final point. The Holy Spirit brings us adoption to sonship, and with suffering, we also will share in Christ's glory in the kingdom of God. So, brothers and sisters, let us meditate on this precious truth and be encouraged to leave them out in accordance with the work of the Holy Spirit, who has already been working powerfully in every child and heir of God, our Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for giving us the Holy Spirit, who is in every part of our salvation, to apply justification to us achieved by our Lord Jesus, to empower our sanctification in the midst of many struggles of sin and suffering, and to bring about our glorification as your sons in your eternal kingdom. Empower us to live according to the work of the Holy Spirit for your honor and glory and for our joy and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.